of our message series that I guess we could call the Runaway Prophet, otherwise known as Outrageous Grace. I want to take you back very briefly to last week's message because last week's message was called How God Pursues Prodigals Part 1. Today we're going to do part two, but let me just refresh your memory from last week. <clears throat> In last week, we learned that when God deals with prophets or with prodigals, he does at least three things. One is he sends storms to get our attention. That's what happens. Second, he allows others to suffer because of our sin. We see that. I mean, Jonah thought it was all on him, but it also very quickly affected the sailors. And third, he sends someone to challenge us. Now, I should probably say he either sends someone to challenge us or he reveals his grace in the midst. I think we're way too far, back way up there. I was going to say, none of that looked familiar to me. Okay. Now, back up one more. He sends storms. Nope, I'll go forward. Okay, is there a next screen? Okay, back up one. I guess it's not all on there. I must have done that in my sleep. But we are continuing our story today. Uh, and the captain wakes up Jonah. We know that Jonah had gone through those series of downs. Remember I said, when you sin, you never go up. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down in the boat. He went down in the sea. And in the reading today, he goes down in the belly of the fish. And in our continuing story now, as he's asleep in the bottom of that boat, the captain wakes him up and tells him to start praying. Now when I read that again, I think, what a rebuke from the captain. I said to you last week that the world may not want our sermons. The world may not want our services, but I believe that when the storms of life come, the people of this world really want our prayers. In fact, I challenged you last week to take six simple words and try them out. I said to you, maybe you'll find yourself in a situation this next week where you're going to say, how can I pray for you? Did you do that this week? Did you ever say that? How can I pray for you? I didn't even get past the front door where somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, how can I pray for you? And when I told him, then I asked him, how can I pray for you? See, the world waits for us to pray. The world wants us to pray. The world sometimes wonders why we don't pray. They don't always understand our doctrine. They aren't always interested in our services. They're not always interested in our sermons. They just want us to to pray. Now, we're going to go on to the next point, this attention grabber, and the attention grabber is number four, he exposes our disobedience. Now, Jonah is found out in the text by casting of lots, that was in verse seven, and I don't know about you, but that may sound or seem a little bit like gambling, a little bit like a game of chance, but as Proverbs 16, 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap but every decision is from the Lord. Now, what does it mean that they cast lots? Well, in those days, they would often have a leather pouch, a leather bag, and in that leather bag, 
they would have a bunch of multicolored balls or a bunch of, bunch of multicolored rocks, and they would kind of uh, shake that bag around, and then they would kind of tip it over and see which color fell out of that bag first. In a sense, casting lots is a lot like rolling dice. Now, it appears, at least on the surface, to be some random act of chance. But I want to tell you that God is behind the colored stones. God is the one who determines which stone comes out of the bag first. There are no accidents in life. There are no random events in life. There is no such thing as luck in life. There is no such thing as coincidences in life. At best, they're all God incidences. And even seamless, seemingly uh, meaningless things fit somehow into God's plan. Now, we might go back and paraphrase, paraphrase Proverbs 16.33, and we could probably put it into modern-day vernacular, and we would say, life is like a roll of the dice. But God is in charge of how the numbers come up. Now, having thus been outed here, if you will, by the shaking of these lots, Jonah confesses who he is. He's already told them that he's running away from the Lord, and now he tells them who he really is. He goes, if you look back in the text, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, again, when I go through and I read the text, I say, isn't it amazing how God works? We may run and run and run, but God will bring us back again, again, and again, finally to the place where we are willing to fess up, to the place where we are willing to admit what's been going on, to the place where we finally tell the truth. Jonah has been living like a pagan, but in truth, the pagans are living a better life than Jonah. Now, there's another way to say this, and I think this might be the next screen, Matt. You can be a pagan, or you can be a Christian, but you simply can't be both at the same time. I hope you understand it. You can either be a pagan, or you can be a Christian, but you can't be both at the same time. There is no such thing. I have, I have searched the scriptures. I've searched the scriptures. Nowhere can I find the term chameleon Christian. Chameleon Christian, just not there. Now, boy George may sing about karma chameleon, which had to do with God, but it ain't in the Bible. No such thing as counterfeit, well, but there's such thing as a counterfeit, but there's no such thing as a pagan Christian. I'm going to give you a very simple, straightforward, in-your-face application. I want you to listen to me. If you are going to be a Christian, be one. You get that? If you're going to be a Christian, be one. If you're going to be a Christian, put on the uniform and get in the game. But if you're not going to be a Christian, Take the uniform off, go get another uniform, and join another team. Now, let me ask this question. If you're not on God's team, who are, whose team are you on? Do you look good in red? <laughs> Do you look good in horns? <laughs> Do you look good with a little tail? Do you look good with a pitchfork? 
Do you enjoy the heat? I don't care. You live in Texas, but do you enjoy the heat? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Here's number five. He makes us face the consequences of our own foolish choices. Now, Jonah knows that it's his fault. So when the sailors ask him, what should we do with you to make the seas calm down again? He offers the only solution that makes sense. He says, pick me up, toss me out of the boat, and the sea will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm came upon you. But did you catch? That's not what they did, at least not immediately. Verse 13 in the text again. Instead, the men did their best, what? To row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew, I think I read before, more tempestuous. Well, let's put it in the English, okay? It got wilder as than before. And you know something, at this point, this is amazing to me, the ungodly have more compassion than the prophet of God has. They care more about him than he cares about them. It is a good side point to make here. And that is, be very, very careful in your life about deciding who's on God's side and who's not. I mean, don't be quick to jump to conclusions that he or she may or may not be a Christian. Things are not always as they appear on the outside. Consider this story for a moment. There is only one prayer in this whole book of Jonah. You know that? Only one prayer in these four chapters, only one recorded in these verses, and it's not the prophet Jonah who prays this prayer. It's the pagans who are doing the praying. This is how the sailors prayed again. Verse 14. O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord have done as you pleased. Now, in the Hebrew language, this is where it helps us to understand. Uh, in the Hebrew language, which is in what the language that the book of Jonah would have originally been written, there are a number of different words for God. For example, there is the Hebrew word El. We spell it, I guess, E-L. There's also the word Elohim. But there's another word, it's called Yahweh. Yahweh. And Yahweh is the covenant name of God. It's the name that the Jews spoke of when they spoke of the God who had made these promises to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you into the wilderness. I brought you into the promised land. I am establishing a covenant with you, the Ten Commandments. I'm gathering you into community. I am Yahweh, your covenant God. It is the most sacred name for God in the entire Bible. In fact, whenever you read through your Bible and you see that word Lord, and it's all capitals, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh. It was so powerful a name that the Jews sometimes refused to even say that word out loud. But look, it's the name 
that these pagans used in their prayer. They cried out to the Lord. They cried out to Yahweh. They said, O Lord, O Yahweh. They said, You, O Lord, you, Yahweh. They cried out to the God of the Bible. They called out to the covenant-keeping Lord of Lords. And I hope you see and understand what's happening here. In verse 5, you remember, it said that they all called out to their own little g-gods. Remember that from last week? They called out to their little g-gods. Suddenly, they are praying to the really big g-god. They are crying out to the one true Lord of Lords. This is a stupendous thing. As Jonah begins to wake up, as his senses begin to wake up spiritually, God is working in the hearts of pagans so that they cry out in desperation to him. And here we see the hand of God at work in every part of the Jonah saga. See, the Lord often uses desperate times to wake people up so that they'll cry out to him. And here he does that for Jonah, and he also does this for the pagan sailors who suddenly don't look or sound so pagan anymore. And I don't know if you caught the theology at the end of their prayer. At the end of their prayer in verse 14, it says, For you, O Lord, for you, O Yahweh, have done as you pleased. See, not long ago, these pagan sailors were worshiping their little itty-bitty G-gods. Now they are proclaiming the sovereign name of the Lord, the big capital G-God. And what do they do? They give Jonah the heave-ho. Man overboard! I don't know if they shouted that or not. But when they heaved him overboard, verse 15 said, the raging sea, that tempestuous sea, became calm. I don't know, don't you find that the least bit interesting that a bunch of pagans suddenly come to the Lord? I told this story last week in prison. It's kind of interesting. You remember those little divine plans? I've given them to you before. They come in those little envelopes where you can tell the story. When I first did those in prison nearly 10 years ago, I had a man, I, I told him, I'm going to give you one today, and if you take it out and you share the divine plan with other people in the prison tonight, give them that divine plan, come back tomorrow and I'll give you another one. The next day, most of the guys in my class, about 90 of them, came back, they all wanted another one. Except for this one guy who said, hey doc, can I get two or three of them? I thought, okay, I gave her two or three more. Next day, a bunch of guys come back, and they all want one more, except for this guy. Doc, can I get maybe six, seven, eight, nine, ten of these? I said, what are you doing with these? You're not trading for cigarettes out on the walk, are you? Said, no, no, no. I'm sharing this with other brothers in the prison. I said, you're out there telling the gospel story to other people. You've done this now almost 15, 20 times, and you give them away. He said, yeah. I said, <laughs> I've given them to you. The last night I'm in prison, I'm preaching at the Interfaith Chapel, and when I'm all done preaching, I even talked about the divine plan one more time. The inmate pastor came forward and they had an altar call. And what he said, if there are people here tonight 
who are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time, come on down. The first guy out of the pew is the guy who has been coming back all week long getting more of these divine plans. And I sat there and I thought, oh my goodness. This man evidently was not a believer when he came to my class. But in the process of telling the gospel message, even as a pagan, over and over and over and over and over again during the week, God was beginning to do a work on his heart. That's kind of where this fits. But when everything calms down, we learn two pretty important facts. One of them we learn from Jonah. One of them we learn from the sailors. From Jonah's side, we learn this very important truth. The storms continue until you stop running from God. Do you get that? The storms are going to continue until you stop running from God. Now, we generally have smooth sailing when we first decide to go our own practical way. Some of you who become prodigals at different times of your life, drifted away from the church, drifted away from the Lord. It's pretty smooth sailing for a while. Things look rosy. Life seems to be pretty good because disobedience has kind of a temporary reward. The Bible even says sin is fun for a season. But sooner or later, those calm seas get a little rough, gets a little choppy, then you got those two or three foot waves with the little bitty white caps. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. You're out in the middle of the ocean, you're in the middle of a hurricane, and those storms are storms that don't just happen, but they are storms that God sends as severe mercy. I've mentioned that word every week, severe mercy. Why? Because they are used to bring us to our senses and lead us to repentance. Now, our voyage away from God may start out like a big celebration, but it always ends up in a raging storm. Why? Because God makes sure of it. Now, from the sailor's side, we can learn something else. What we learn from the sailor's side is this, that at, at, at this, this is verse 16, at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to the Lord. Again, the words here in the text really, really matter. I'll go back again. The Hebrew word for Lord is Yahweh. What's, what's Jonah doing this time? <laughs> He's kind of bobbing up and down <laughs> in the ocean someplace. And at the same time, a revival is breaking out on board of this ship. Suddenly this boat is filled with enthusiastic worshipers of who? Yahweh, God. And lest we forget, where is this boat headed? Do you remember where this boat's going? It's going to Tarshish. It's going to that beautiful port city of Spain. And now the boat is going with a boatload of baby missionaries. Isn't that cool? I mean, isn't that great how the story turns out? Pagan sailors now worship the Lord while Israel's prophet is treading water in the Mediterranean. 
while the sailors are praising God, Jonah's doing the dog paddle. And I think Jonah expects that he's going to die. He's going to die. Actually, that's probably a pretty good place for him to be. He would rather die than run away from God anymore. That's what happens to prodigals. They'd rather die than keep running. Here's number six. He reveals his grace in the midst of the storm. This is the part of the story that you and I know best. I mean, anybody who knows the story of Jonah, we got to get him in the whale, don't we? That's what we think. Come on, whale, swallow it. This is the cool part of the story. But I want you to listen again to the text. But the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, but the Lord provided, provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish, how long? Three days and three nights. Now, in another text, it says that the Lord appointed this fish. The Lord provided the fish. Now, I, I want you to see, understand here, it does not say that God created a special fish. It says that he provided, he appointed a great fish, and I got, I got sad news for you Sunday school teachers. It does not say it was a whale. In spite of the fact that we often call this the story of what? Jonah and the whale. Now, it could have been a whale. We really don't know. I think sometimes we spend too much time trying to figure out what kind of fish it was and forget the purpose for which God sent it. I mean, who or what the fish was makes no difference. But I will tell you, I, I kind of wonder if the Lord didn't talk to the fish a little bit. Hey, fish, got a job for you to do. Oh, what kind of job? And so God gives the fish the GPS coordinates from where Jonah is bobbing into water. And he says, I want you to be at this spot precisely at this time, and I want you to swallow this man. Don't go chewing on him. I mean, don't bite him or nothing. Don't bite off a leg. Don't chew him up. I just want you to get him down. And when you get him down, await further instructions. To which the fish said, okay. And off he went. Now, with everything else in this story, the fish, the fish obeys God better than Jonah. Isn't that amazing so far? Pagans obey God better than the prophet. The fish obeys better than the prophet. Let me ask you a few questions. Who sent the great fish? Answer, the same person who arranged the boat. It's the same person who, ar who arranged for the lot to fall out of that bag. It's the same God who sent that storm. God did it all. Why? First of all, to rescue Jonah from the sea. If he hadn't sent the fish, Jonah would have been eating supper with Davy, you know, along Davy and Davy Jones' locker. He'd have been gone. Second, it was to bring him to repentance. Now, I want to talk to you, some of you who, have, who I really have no idea. I can't see in your heart. But I want to speak just for a moment to those of you 
who might still be running. You're, 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 you're not as close to the Lord as maybe you'd like to be or should be, and maybe it's because you've been kind of running. You've been keeping God at arm's length. If you've been running, if you're that person, I've got some really good news for you this morning. It's never too late to stop running. The Bible says today could be the day of your salvation. And I just want to tell you, if you're the one out there like that, don't wait for the storm. And don't wait for a big fish. Now, I want to talk to another group of you. It's the rest of you here, and I would say that I, I'm, I'm in the same boat, in a manner of speaking, as many of you, and that is that you have friends, or you have relatives, you have loved ones, who at this very moment are running from the Lord as fast as they can. Now, I'm not talking about literally, you know, feet don't fail me now and they're going backwards, but they seem to have done everything they can to move and distance themselves from the Lord and his church as much as they can by their lifestyle or, or whatever else. I would bet today, if I had a show of hands, how many of you got a prodigal relative, a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, a prodigal friend, you'd say, yep, got it. When I announced on my Facebook page about a month ago that I was uh, going to be preaching on how God pursues prodigals, somebody sent me a private message. I want to read to you this private message. Does anyone know where we can buy a fatted calf? We want to be ready to celebrate one day when the prodigal comes home. You know, that's exactly the right attitude to have. And I'm saying to those of you that got prodigal, in the, in the, as you're waiting for God to do his job, as you're waiting for them to come back, in the meantime, console yourself with a few thoughts about these prodigals. Number one, God knows who they are. God knows where they are. God knows how to reach them. And God knows best how to reel them back in. Between now and then, though, what are we left to do? I'd tell you there are a couple of things. Never give up. Never give up hope. Keep on believing that God can do a rescue plan as only God can do. And keep on praying. Well, maybe one more thing. Go get yourself a fatted calf. Go get yourself a fatted calf, put him out to pasture, uh, feed that fatted calf while you wait for the prodigal, while you wait for that happy day when God will reach out his mighty hand and touch that son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter or good friend or whoever it is and bring them home at last. Let's pray. Father, as you did for Jonah, do now for our loved ones. And even after a message like this, I, I know it's still easy to feel hopeless. There are people in our lives who just seem so far away from you. They seem to be having such a good time. 
But Lord, you know where they are. You know how to touch them. And Lord, today we join our hearts in saying, do whatever it takes, send whatever storm it takes to bring them home to you. And in the meantime, Father, grant us grace to wait and grant us faith to believe and grant us growing confidence that one day that fatted calf will be put to good use at last. May we never give up hope, but keep believing that as you brought Jonah back, that you'll do the same thing for the prodigals that we love so much. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, we pray this.